I'm actually very concerned about the well-being of my students. And more so than anything, um, I'm concerned about the fact that I have a lot of colleagues that think like me but are terrified to say anything. Because if they do, they get retaliated against, such as being isolated by their colleagues, such as being observed more by administration, being called into the principal's office, eventually being put on a pip and probably let go. But this isn't about me, because this is about going after any teacher that does not agree with the far left's ideology. That's the voice of Julie Perry, a Fairfax high school teacher who courageously spoke at a state board meeting about teachers feeling pressured to promote sexualized propaganda. Meanwhile, will Virginia parents eventually face felony charges if they don't affirm their kids' transgender identity? Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, to start out today, we have something fun to share. Next week will be our 100th episode of Speak Up Virginia. Victoria, did you ever think we would get this far? I certainly had my doubts when we got started just because of the way we started, I guess. I don't know if you want to share right. a little bit about how this thing actually rolled at the beginning. If anyone ever saw our family foundation closet, it's like one of those everything closets where you just you put the Christmas tree, you put the unused tablecloths, the extra uh, folders. I mean, it's wall to wall with stuff. And we were crunched in there in a little table in the closet. Um, you know, we, I think we were fairly close to where they take out the trash behind the building. So <laughs> to be fair, maybe people don't know, but like when you start these things, you think, oh, we're going to do a podcast. And then you find out, well, your whole building is a historic building with really high ceilings and just thin wall. Anyway, we, there were reasons we were in the closet. <laughs> we weren't just picking a bad closet to do this. But I will be honest, the times we had to go in and move everything to even be able to put a table back in to be able to have a chair to do this thing. I mean, it was a hassle every single week. And the sound issues. Uh, yeah. Not not to make a bad joke here, but we literally started out in the closet. <laughs> in the closet. We can't come out of the closet, though. I don't know what that means on this show. But um, at least we're in uh, at least we're in an actual, you know, studio now. And I feel sorry for Catherine because, uh, you know, we started out with less than equipment at the very beginning. And Victoria and I have notorious allergies <laughs> that pretty much <laughs> we're struggling with every time we record these. And so I don't know. Maybe we should give our audience a little sampling of the coffee. And the no, sniffling. I don't think they need that, Candy. They don't need that. <laughs> that Catherine, you know, edits out every week. Do you want to comment on any of your highlights from the startup process? Just that I'm very acquainted with the sounds of your snot. <laughs> Well, and to be fair, there was also the tech issues where we'd hear this thumping in the background and we couldn't figure out what it was and it was equipment. And anyway, it was rough. That was there was a mysterious thumping that Catherine spent hours trying to edit out. And it was I think it ended up maybe being the cars coming in the parking lot under us. Trying to edit out something I couldn't hear, by the way. <laughs> other, other people could hear it, but I couldn't. Yeah. I'm just gonna say I think we've come a long way, baby. <laughs> you know that uh, that old yeah. forget what that's from, but <laughs> all right. Well, to celebrate our 100th episode, 
I want to let our audience know not to miss next week because we're going to have a special guest. Delegate Nick Freitas is going to join us to talk about some of the wackiest and most emotional moments from inside the state capitol. And he and Victoria swap some very interesting stories about this. Plus, they give some very fun and interesting predictions on future presidential races. So don't miss that. That's next week. Next Wednesday is when the first airing comes out. All right. Well, getting into some of our topics today. You know, we've been talking about Governor Yunkin's updates to the policies on transgender issues in schools. These were originally developed under the Northam administration in a way that pretty much cut parents completely out of the process. But Governor Yunkin's version put parents back in the driver's seat. And, of course, that has become a real cultural flashpoint lately in our state. I mean, it's been in the headlines almost every other day for a few weeks now. And things came to a head again last week. When the LGBTQ activists attempted to apply pressure in yet another way, they showed up at the State Board of Education meeting, even though technically the State Board of Education has zero authority over this. Yeah, that was a frustration. You know, I saw them announce that they were going to show up at this meeting and, you know, double, triple check that the authority is not there for the board to do anything about what they if they agree or disagree with these. It's actually the Department of Education. And so it seemed incredibly frustrating, but I felt like. We still needed our folks there to be able to give some positive messages if the board was going to listen to hours of comments that are off track about these guidelines. So we did. Yeah, I was so happy to see people from our speak up teams across the state showing up and concerned moms and dads. Victoria, just real quick, share a little bit of highlights from your perspective. From well, that meeting. I'm always thrilled when people are willing to take part take time out of their day and they're willing to come down to a building they've never been to, to a meeting they've never attended at and eight just, in the morning. Yes. And just kind of, you know, be there to have their voices heard or simply be there as supportive. And I just think it's really important. And so I was thrilled to see our folks there. Um, I think the board didn't have to actually listen to these comments. They actually can choose not to listen to comments on things that they have no authority over. But they were willing and gracious and spent two hours listening to comment after comment. Now, these comments don't make it into the official town hall. You know, the comments that actually will be considered by the Department of Education are the ones that go online that we've been encouraging people to do. So these are just you know, basically taking up their time. Mm-hmm. But um, it was it was a powerful day because you, you do hear some really tragic stories on the other side and you hear a lot of confusion, but you also hear parents standing there saying, no, we are thrilled that you have given us the chance to be a part of our child's life because that's what we're owed. <laughs> you know, that's our right in Virginia. Yeah. Well, I did want to talk about a couple of those parents and concerned people that you're mentioning Uh, We just want to play a couple of clips from some of the most powerful of those moments. Uh, One was from Julie Perry, a high school history teacher in the Fairfax District. She made some really bold statements about the pressure teachers are facing to comply with this whole woke agenda thing. Let's just listen into that. Um, I'm actually very concerned about the well-being of my students. And more so than anything, um, I'm concerned about the fact that I have a lot of colleagues that think like me but are terrified to say anything. Because if they do, they get retaliated against, such as being isolated by their colleagues, such as being observed more by administration, being called into the principal's office, eventually being put on a pip and probably let go. But this isn't about me because this is about going after any teacher that does not agree with the far left's ideology. If we, if this continues, we are going to lose this great country. 
Yeah, I didn't realize Julie was going to come and speak at the Board of Ed, but she's actually a client of ours with our Founding Freedoms Law Center because she is in a fight to simply be able to be a teacher and not have to adopt all the ideology that's they're being forced into trainings and all sorts of things. And so we've actually taken up a case with her. Well, that's interesting. And I thought another really powerful moment was when we heard from Jason Spoon, a dad in Chesterfield County. And he started out his comments with this redemptive approach because he was listening to all these heartrending comments from LGBTQ students and others who were talking about their experiences with bullying and just going through broken relationships. Let's listen to that. Uh, you know, I do know what it is to be marginalized, beat up, bullied in school. Um, and uh, also, you know, I had a, had a pretty terrible relationship with my father as well. I just want to encourage the folks that were given their testimony, you know, don't, don't close the door on those relationships. Um, and, um, you know, don't, don't let anger and, and hatred kind of get into your heart and just, you know, remember that this is going to be, you know, this, all of this is going to kind of be resolved through love. Um, not, um, not through, uh, you know, being an adversary to one another. What I did want to say is uh, we're, uh, my, my family and I are recently uh, back to Virginia the last few years, um, and uh, I've recently started coming to school board meetings. Uh, I'm, I'm real, uh, I'm in a lot of support of, of, of parental rights, and uh, I'm here today as one of the many parents who have uh, had to remove their, their children from public school. Um, I'm really concerned about um, you know, what my <coughs> child was being taught in the school, there seemed to be this type of compartmentalization where I wasn't really involved in the education, where every time I met with my uh, my child's teachers, they seemed to just be trying to hide something from me. There was a perception that um, a lot of what was happening was happening behind closed doors or in the dark. Yeah, he really was a highlight because if you had sat there and listened to these, they, they were very hard to hear. And someone needs to address that because oftentimes it's as if we don't care and we don't love these people. Um, you know, we get framed that way. So I was so appreciative that he spoke what we were all thinking. And, you know, he leads our speak up team. And so he's just such a good voice for what we believe in. And he started really with just this this empathy and just really encouraging people to not give up on family relationships and uh, it's just super important what he said. Yeah. And just, he really spoke also to the number of parents who are feeling forced to remove their kids because they're being cut out of the process. So I thought that was uh, just a really uh, powerful moment. Also, I just want to give a big shout out to everybody listening who helped us get the word out on the public comments. As Victoria mentioned, the really crucial public comments were the ones happening online where the government had a 30-day period where people could go on there and say whether they were for or against uh, Governor Yunkin's updates to the policies on transgender issues in schools. So thank you for making your voice heard, getting the word out. Last time I checked, there were more than 60,000 people. So we'll be seeing those um, guidelines be finalized soon. And we'll let you know what happens next, what to do with your local school board when that happens. Speak up, listeners. Have you voted yet? Voting has already started in Virginia for the midterm elections, which will have major impact on the life, family, and freedom issues that we talk about on this show. Vote today at your registrar's office. Learn more at familyfoundation.org. Just look for the voter information banner. Well, so many times people in forums like this Board of Education meeting are trying to discredit the parents and the teachers speaking up and trying to 
insinuate that they are just way over the top fanatics with these imaginary concerns. But we recently had a Virginia delegate who provided more than enough confirmation that these concerns are in fact a reality. There is a real effort to criminalize parents who don't go along with the approved agenda, so to speak. Tell us about that, Victoria. Yeah, I mean, this all started with a news report that came out pretty recently that this left-wing legislator from Prince William County, her name's Elizabeth Guzman, basically announced that she was going to introduce a bill this next session. And it, the bill would, as you said, open the door to criminalizing parents, even to the point where they could face a felony charge if they were deemed not affirming enough of their child's transgender identity. Now, basically, the way the bill is written, the way it would work is that they actually revise or change the definition of child abuse that's in our code now to a definition that actually basically goes so far as to say it will include bullying or mental injury to children due to their gender identity or sexual orientation. Of course, it's sufficiently vague enough to potentially apply to parents who are simply just trying to follow a biblical viewpoint in the way that they help their children. Uh, Let's just listen to an interview that she did with a local news station. And what could the penalties be? If, you know, the investigation concludes and it's concluded that a parent is not affirming of their LGBTQ child, what could the consequences be? Well, we first have to have an investigation, you know, and before we make the determination that there's going to be a CPS charge, depending on the type of abuse, and this is for all abuse, not only LGBTQ, you know, it could be a felony, it could be a misdemeanor, but we know that a CPS charge could harm, you know, your employment. So you definitely hear her acknowledging that there could be a felony charge involved. But did you also notice, Victoria, her referencing these background searches for CPS charges and the impact on parents' jobs or employment? Yeah, there's no question what they're trying to do 100 percent of this bill is chill any effort for a parent to try to help their child get their mindset around the fact that they have a certain biological gender. And so they are absolutely trying to shut that down. And it's intimidating. It's intimidation tactics. And they even said how they're going to push back on Governor Yunkin's parent-friendly policies. Yeah, through this bill. that She was thinking of it as a way to push back on that specifically. Well, you know what's interesting is there was a big enough outcry about this whole thing after she did this interview that Delegate Guzman actually had to walk back her comments, saying they were inaccurate, taking out of context. But then the news station put the whole 20-minute interview unfiltered out there for everybody to see so, you know, everyone can see for themselves her exact comments. And when you watch that, another thing that stuck out to me is how condescending it sounded, the attitude toward parents. Because at one point, the reporter asked her to respond specifically to these concerns that the bill is criminalizing parents. And she says, no, no, it doesn't do that. It's educating parents. And that was her exact quote. It's educating parents because the law tells you the do's and the don'ts. I don't know about you, but I thought my Bible tells me the do's and don'ts. Yeah, well, that's how we think of it. But you remember, they think that that's a terrible thing because obviously it helps us um, not necessarily affirm our child's confusion. And so they're, but I mean, the whole thing, but here's the, the 
crazy part is watching the Democrats try to create all this distance between them and this bill. I mean, they immediately tried to push back as if, oh, we would never do that. And we don't want her to put in this bill. And to be honest with you, we even saw, you know, it's affecting. Everybody has to remember this is in the context of elections. We have midterm elections happening while all this is taking place. And so they do not need this issue in. And so Spamberger, who is a candidate for the seventh congressional district, immediately distanced herself and said, no, 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 I'm not. You know, that's that's not something. Yeah. And they all started dodging debates afterwards. So they didn't have to answer for this bill, which I think is also quite humorous. Meanwhile, some Republicans were actually running ads on it. So, yeah, the, it was interesting, the fallout. Um, but I'm glad this did prove a bridge too far in Virginia, that we are not yet willing to criminalize parents with a biblical viewpoint. But I just want to say, I think the real lesson learned here, as with so many of these incidents, is that it reveals the direction they want to take us. Yes, they overplayed their hand, but they're showing at the same time where they want to go. Well, yeah. I mean, this bill was already in two years ago. And I, I don't know. I hope it's a bridge too far for our legislators. But I'll tell you, keep in mind, the Democrats aren't in full control anymore here in Virginia. Two years ago, they put it in and it didn't get a lot of attention because it got killed right away. But they didn't back off of it two years ago when they had the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general and the House of Delegates. Now they're backing away. So I think it's a real concern. Legislators, hopefully now we're seeing they're rightly pointing out the child abuse is already defined pretty clearly in the code. And it's not about, you know, what yeah. you think about things. So it would be redundant. It would be. I also think we have to keep in mind at, for, at all these meetings, for example, at the Board of Education that we've been talking about, these folks go up to the mic and they reference how there's so much abuse from parents to kids that are um, they would say trans, but, you know, confused mm-hmm. around their gender. Well, we don't know what they mean by abuse now. When they're referencing that, are they simply saying these parents don't affirm and therefore it's abuse? Or is there actual abuse? Because we, we would be concerned about actual abuse. But if words are abuse and, you Well, know, now we do know what they mean if we're listening the to Delegate Guzman. That's the concern. Yeah. I, well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! Well, you may have assumed that inflation hitting a 40-year high and the astronomical prices at the gas pump and the grocery store are a result of big government spending, the COVID crisis, and maybe even Russia. But you would be wrong, according to Stacey Abrams, a Georgia candidate for governor. It's actually giving birth to babies that's the problem. Let's just listen to her comments on MSNBC. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. And so these are, it's important for us to have both and conversations. Wow. Where to begin with this? This is unbelievable. Um, As a person with four kids, and we are definitely feeling the pinch at the grocery store, let me be clear, our kids are not the reason for the pinch. That's unbelievable. I, I, I can't even, if I were to even, if I were single and lived alone, my grocery budget would still be high. And it's definitely higher than it was last year. Yeah, that's definitely an argument with a big fallacy. Um, and just to give some context here, the interviewer pointed out to her that voters are actually more concerned about economic issues than abortion. So the verbal gymnastics she was trying to jump through to tie those two together 
was just comical, but it was also frightening. Well, yeah, there's a desperation right now. Candidates on the left cannot talk about the economy because their solutions are not what the public agree with. And so the bottom line is they know they can't fix that. And that is the number one issue for voters. Every time we pull them anywhere around the country, you're seeing it's the number one issue. They keep trying to pivot to try to push abortion up the number, you know, the, the most concerned issues list. And it's not working. And this was a desperate interview. And they think that's a solution that's going to win votes. I mean, I've just got to say, again, we seem to learn nothing from history because this does seem to me dangerously cl- close to another type of history. We heard about a solution and the whole idea that the weaker or inconvenient human beings in society are expendable in order for the stronger to be more comfortable, to have convenience. That's where the whole disregard for the sanctity of human life leads us. You know, I had to appreciate this tweet from National Review's Dan McLaughlin. He says, I didn't really expect Democrats to go with the, you know, it's cheaper to feed your family if you kill a few of them as a closing argument. Yet here we are. I hate to say it, but it's the same kind of thing we saw when the companies, the big woke companies, you know, were all paying like Dix is the one I think of where they said, we'll pay for you to travel for your abortion. Because guess what? It's cheaper for them to pay for that than to pay for your family health care when you have a child. Exactly. Well, on a more hopeful note, I would like to point out that women aren't forced to turn to that solution because there are churches and there are thousands of pregnancy resource centers nationwide that have come alongside them in a crisis and are willing to do that anytime that happens. And so that's a little off off the mark. That's exactly right. And again, on a hopeful note, if you want to find a list of the resource centers, pregnancy resource centers in Virginia specifically, just go to familyfoundation.org and look under the resources tab. That's familyfoundation.org. In the meantime, I guess that means we need to give this week's inconceivable award to Stacey Abrams for actually suggesting abortion as an economic solution. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.